Welcome to another Raven Narratives podcast. I am Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson. We're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. And this is a special edition of The Raven Narratives podcast. This is Dragon Tales, featuring stories told by Southwest Open High School students and some staff at a live storytelling event that we did on April 7th. I'm so excited about this one. It was made possible by a grant from Think 360's Arts for Learning. Very nice. Mm, Yeah, that one's hard (laughs) to get through. Think 360 Arts for Learning. This is the first of two podcasts that will include Dragon Tales storytellers. And our first storyteller was a Southwest Open School student, Ryan Lee. Ryan's a really swell dude. He loves playing video games, designing characters, and hanging out with his friends. And he loves to crack jokes and adores making puns. Here's Ryan's story. Is that sanitary? These, this was the very first sentence that I ever said. This was around two years old. I was about two years old when I uh, first said this. Said this whole sentence together. And it defined me for many, many, many years to come. <laughs> Jump forward about two years when I'm around four, four and a half. My parents... I was, at, I was at my house, and my parents were both arguing about something in the bathroom. I did what was very common of me to do. I went couch surfing. Couch, couch surfing was basically when I went into a couch, into any couch really, and started digging around to try to find loose change, toys, Legos, anything I could get my hands on. And this one day, I found an old stale raisin. Without a second thought, right up the nose it went. <laughs> and thus started another, another trend of mine, random spontaneous ideas that, I don't know why I do them, I just do them. Um, I, after a couple seconds of trying to take out the raisin, I eventually went over to the bathroom where my parents were arguing. I opened the door and said, I think I stuck a raisin up my nose. They both, they both stopped, looked me dead in the eyes. My mom said, you think or you did? I pondered this for a second. Did. Step forward another couple years. I'm about six, six and a half, and I start first grade. These were the worst few years in recent, uh, in my well, life. Well, um, let's see here. When I first started school, it was pretty normal, pretty average. New kid, was very shy around everyone. But as time went on, it seemed like I was growing, becoming more and more of everyone's target. I was being bullied, teased, laughed at, name-called. It never got too, too physical, but in the second grade, I'm about seven and a half that I was out at the recess yard when some random guy ran up and just hefted me up and lobbed me down on the ground multiple times over. I saw a teacher and was trying to claw my way over to him. After a couple more times of being picked up and thrown down, he eventually spotted the teacher and booked it. I went over to the teacher, explained my, explained my problem, and he said, sorry, I can't do anything about it. And that was when I started kind of getting this feeling of no, of that no one really seems to 
care about how I feel. I one day I finally found the principal and explained my situation to him, and he made an announcement later that day, saying that whoever did it, come to his office, and he'll talk to them. About a week passed and no one said anything, so eventually the entire school, every recess had to walk around the entire track. And it was at that point that I then got this idea lodged in my head that no one ever really seemed to care. Around third grade, my uh, third grade, I was about nine, nine and a half, about that. Um, and I was almost completely shut off from everyone. I didn't trust a single other person. It was during that grade when my dad took me to some play, to the to uh, San Diego to go to the San Diego Comic-Con or Comic Convention. And it was there that I had a huge life-changing moment. We I went to this this I went to a question and answer panel for this old uh not old aired in around in the end of the 90s early 2000s a show called Ed and Nettie. Hilarious show. Love it. Um, when my dad and I went there and, well, when I went there, I, when, we went, when we went inside the convention hall and they finally set up the microphone to have fans come up and, and ask questions, um, I was locked in my seat. I desperately wanted to go up and talk to them, but I couldn't move. Finally, my dad hefted me up and gave me a quick nudge over to the line and said, go on, go ask them. And so I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> went, to the, went to the line, and I stood there just kind of like, oh, geez, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? Um, and before I even realized it, I was at the mic. I couldn't say anything. All I could really blurt out was, well, yeah, hey, I love the show. My favorite character is, you know, Ed. Really love what you guys do. <laughs> and as I was turning around to leave, an idea struck. And in my head, I was going, no, 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 it's a bad idea. Don't do this. It's a stupid idea. They're going to laugh at you. Look at an idiot. Just as I was about to sit back down, my body started moving on its own. I wheeled back up to the mic, shouted in the voice of this Ed character that I liked, I like chickens, Eddie. And the whole crowd... And the whole crowd lit up. Even, I even saw the creators laughing. But the difference was, it didn't feel malicious. It didn't feel like they were laughing at me, per se. It, it was more like they were laughing at the thing that I did. It was at that moment that I then realized that, you know, maybe opening up and actually trying to be what I, you know, be myself is not, it's not that bad. I like making other people laugh and smile. We eventually... My, and as my dad can vouch for this, I was floating on air throughout the rest of the day. Um, we, f we get back home about a week later. I get back to school, and things just kind of started going downhill from there. Um, around the end of fourth grade, my parents finally decided that I need to get pulled out of school and into homeschooling, because I will admit I was saying some pretty dark stuff. Um, and at the end of fourth grade, I was yanked out, put into homeschooling. And it was boring. <laughs> five, five consecutive years of being by myself, reading a book. Reading multiple books, writing other books and all that. But 
at first I thought it was cool. You know, I got, I have my own, I have my own school days. I could, you know, plan, I could technically plan my own uh, school day out. And after a while, I got lonely. It was around eighth grade when I, when my mom and I finally decided that enough was enough. I was going to go back into, I was going to go back into school when I, when I reached ninth grade. So then my mom set off at looking about the place, trying to find some different high schools. Many I turned down. Others said that they couldn't take any, any more students. Then one day when she was working at, one day when she was at her old job at, at the college down on 2nd Street, um, this, this one guy who used to actually teach at SWOS um, came up to her and said, you know, oh, you know, your son, I, I heard your son is homeschooling. You're planning on taking him out. Um, I know this great place. It's this school called Southwest Open School. And my mom, you know, asked him about it. He told her about this, what the school is like. And she, she's, and she said, you know, well, that place sounds actually pretty cool. Came back home, talked to me about it. And I was, and I reluctantly was said, yeah, sure, why not? After a few weeks of trying to find him, we eventually got hold of him. I talked and we finally conversed. My the one phrase that got that got me into this school was when I was talking to him. I said, "Well, I have the uh, social skills of a rock." <laughs> the thing he said the moment I finished that phrase, he turned around to me and said, "Well, a rock wouldn't talk back," <laughs> and that got me sold. <laughs> so went over there, checked it out. My dad and I thought it was a great place. Uh, so I enrolled, entered into the uh, first course known as Swazology. At first, I was very, I was still very closed in, sh shy, didn't really trust anyone. I felt like I still had that target painted right on my back. As the, as the weeks went on, I was started opening up, becoming myself, and started laughing, joking, making other people smile and all that. And, well, I guess, for lack of a better term, uh, finally became the person that I so desperately wanted to be. Thank you, good night. Thanks, Ryan. That was a great story. Our next Dragon Tales storyteller was Mahela John Lee Cotton. Mahela, sometimes known as Muhammad Ali, is a young, joyful spirit. She has great ambitions, and she loves the traits that make her unique. For example, her hair. Here is Mahela's story. All right, um... I'd like to thank everyone that made this possible, but to be honest, I'm quite nervous. So I'd really appreciate it if everyone would take a deep breath with me. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. So I always seem to be attracted to people with a history. Maybe it's because of my rough history. For example, one day I was at a, my t-ball game. My mom's car was backed into by a truck. I was so worried about my mom, I didn't play my t-ball game no, mat no matter 
how much my coaches begged me to play. Skip forward a little bit. The truck that backed into my mom's car, we're using it to get groceries. But I'm five. I don't care. I don't understand. I just know that we finally have food in the house again. <sighs> Fast forward a little bit more. I woke up. I was putting shoes on my little sister. And I was taking her to grandma's house. I walked through the trailer foot. I walked through the trailer park barefoot. I had told the police that my mom had been in a fight that night and that the door was unlocked when I woke up. The reason I was being questioned by the police that night is because when I woke up, I found my mom passed out over a box. So with all the strength in my five-year-old body, I pulled my mom onto her back. When I saw her face, I knew she had passed on. But little did I know at the time, it was her fault. She overdosed on drugs. I was prepared for this because earlier on that week, my little sister's grandma had told me what to do if an emergency ever happened. I knew that this was the kind of thing she was talking about. I remember sitting on the front porch and I was sad, but I wasn't quite sure why. It hadn't completely registered to me that I will never have a mom again. My main concern as a five-year-old should have been, where's my Barbie's clothes? But no, it was, where am I going now? Why is everyone fighting? Why can't I see my little sister? My little sister went with her stepdad. I chose to go with my grandpa's brother and his wife. But when I chose to go there, I figured my little sister would go with me. She didn't. They were, Hank and Rebecca was their names. They were really nice to me and they spoiled me a lot. And I was sure that's where I wanted to be. So I went to court, they became my foster parents and I was legally theirs. After all the court stuff, they started acting differently. They were meaner, stricter, just different. They went to this church, but in my opinion, I wouldn't call it a church. I would say that it is a cult. And in this so-called church, they would set me in a chair in front of the entire church and about a hundred people would come up, put their hands on me and pray in tongue. The reason they were praying in tongue is because I had a demon inside of me. And the reason they said I had a demon inside of me was because I was filled with rage. I had this rage because it was caused out of sadness. It was my way of coping with everything that just happened. And another reason is because my eyes would come up red in pictures. 
Well, through my rage and my fit throwing, they decided that they could not handle me any longer. They gave me back to my grandma. So I'm living with my grandma and my grandpa. And it's good for what I remember. But for some reason, I went back to Hank and Rebecca. On and off, I had been living with Hank and Rebecca for about two years. And in March 2009, my little sister was in a car accident. It wasn't a little car accident. She had drowned in the Colorado River. The two people in the car with her got out. Soon after my sister died, I was given back to my grandparents. Again, for my fit throwing and rage. But now I've had two very important people pass on very close together. Keep in mind, my dad passed on when I was younger. So I have none of my immediate family. The second time, I went back to my grandma and grandpa's. I was in school. But I was not old enough to stay home alone, get ready, and catch the bus. So every morning, I'd get in my grandpa's truck at 7 o'clock, and I would go to my aunt's. And up there, I would get ready. I would catch the bus. And before I got on the bus, my aunt would shower me in kisses and hugs. She said that she embarrassed me, but I loved it. Up there, I met my little cousin, Kiana. She's now my little sister. I will protect her with anything I have. So while she was needing someone to be there and protect her forever, I needed someone to fill that hole in my heart. And the crazy thing about it is, she's about the same age that my little sister is or would be. Kiona is my soulmate. And sometimes I hate her. <laughs> and right now is one of those times. But I know that I have to keep her in my story because I know that she's going to be a major part in my life. She's my soulmate. And I will meet her in every life because I believe that souls never die. Souls are too powerful to just die off or go sit somewhere forever like heaven or hell. I like to believe that my loved ones are living a better life than before. Souls never die. And that's why I don't believe in God because souls can never die. Thanks, Mahela, for sharing that story. Our next storyteller is Daryl Malone. Daryl skateboards and is looking forward to Nike sponsoring him as a skateboarder. He moved to the Four Corners five years ago 
And when he's not being a student at Southwest Open School, you'll find him at the skate park doing awesome tricks. Here's Daryl's story. Well, hello, everybody. My story starts off about when I was four years old. My parents have just gotten a divorce. A year or so later, I move in with my mom, new stepdad, little brother, older brother, and stepsister on into a quadruplex on Kings Road in Kirksville, Missouri. Um, my dad moved to Columbia, Missouri with his new girlfriend, Diana, which soon became to be my stepmom. She's a very lovely lady, by the way. <laughs> um, during fourth grade summer break, I happened to get in trouble with the law, so I had to move with my dad and Diana to Boonville, Missouri, which I soon started fifth grade at David Barton Elementary School. Um, uh, during the fifth grade summer break, my mom happened to go to jail after an unfortunate incident. Although she was only there for a couple of days, I was still really upset because of that accident. It brought like her whole life down pretty much, but uh, keep going. Um, during that uh, fifth grade summer break still, my dad and stepmom went to go visit my dad's best friend from high school, Josh, in Durango, Colorado. Uh, they, when they got back from Durango, they told me and my two other brothers that they had the most tremendous time in Durango after rafting down the river for the first time of their whole entire life. Um, so they decided that me and my two other brothers should move in with them and we should move to Durango, Colorado because they thought we'd have a lot more opportunities than Flatland, Missouri um, or misery, that's how I always say it. Um, we arrived to Colorado, and all I'm doing is looking out the windows because I've never seen anything as beautiful as Colorado in my life. All I've seen is flatlands, like I've said before. Um, we arrived to Durango, and we stay at our, my dad's best friend Josh's house for uh, about a week and then tell my dad rented a house in Durango West too. Um, I soon enrolled into at Escalante Middle School into the sixth grade. Half a year or so later, I'm, uh, we moved out of that house due to the house being in bad shape. Um, we moved in town on the street called Bacchus Street. It was a block away from the middle school which I soon enrolled in for the seventh grade. During the seventh grade, I made a new best friend named Cliff. Cliff and I would always stay the night at each other's houses and go to the skate park the next day and ride boards. I would always ride a board, he would always ride a skateboard, bike, or scooter. Because, I, I don't know why you'd ride a scooter. That's... <laughs> um, one week, my grandma was in town, and she got me a new longboard. 
from the thrift shop right next to Zia Taqueria. It was a downhill longboard with fat 88 millimeter wheels. It was all black on the top and bottom. So one night I stayed the night at Cliff's house and then and we spray painted my longboard lime green, white, and we made a stencil for a biohazard side and put that on there as well. Um, the next day, as I remember, was a really bright day but had a little bit of wind. I had to go home that day to check in with Diana to see if I could go ride boards with Cliff on the Animus River Trail. Um, I had to be back early that day because I had my first football game of the season. Um, on, on, on our way back home, me and Cliff split up for a quick 10 minutes so he could go get his bike pedals from our friend Kevin's house. Um, so I decided that I was going to take the fun way down, the steep way down, and the scary way down. Um, so I arrived to Columbine Street in Durango, Colorado. It's this big S-shaped downhill way with a bunch of speed, speed bumps. As I'm carving down the hill, I realize I have too much speed, so I make a sharp turn and sp I smacked both my legs against a metal utility trailer that is used for an ATV or dirt bikes. Um, I yell for help, and I see the neighbors from across the street running out with a the towel. They soon call the ambulance. As I'm laying there, I notice I have a big open wound in my left leg, about two inches wide and two inches lengthwise. <laughs> um, I see my friend Cliff riding down the same hill slowly, like the smart one. <laughs> um, he doesn't notice me until I yell for his name, but I yell for him and tell, tell him to go get Diana for me. Five minutes or so later, I see my older brother and his friend Briar walking up the, uh, Columbine Street. Diana didn't show up because she didn't know it was that serious until my brother called, which soon she then showed up. She showed up the same time the ambulance did. Um, I remember her telling me that everything was going to be okay and that the medics were going to take care of me. Um, so I arrived at her Mercy Hospital. I see my dad, which he just called in for work due to the accident, and I see my mom, Diana, with her, with him. <laughs> um, so 20 or so minutes later, I begin surgery. I don't remember it. I was like that it's quick but I wake up and I have a left leg brace and a right knee brace and the nurses take me to my hospital room for the night as I'm laying down I like I take off my left leg brace to see how the open wound was doing um, it had 13 stitches and it was in the shape of a Nike scar <laughs> and I was hoping that possibly with that Nike sharp uh, Nike's Nike shaped scar that I could possibly get a Nike sponsorship. <laughs> um, um, the next day, Cliff showed up to show support after the accident, and then soon I went home. Um, 
I went home with a walker, a wheelchair, and some crutches. I first started off with my wheelchair and my walker. Um, I luckily missed the first week of school <laughs> um, due to the accident. But it was also cool because I had a couple of friends come over each day to see how I was doing. I was the center of attention to my family in the living room because I luckily got to put my bed in the living room on top of the couch. <laughs> on top of the couch because I couldn't, I couldn't bend down in my room because it was too low. Um, the first week of school, uh, I, I always remember this one teacher would always get mad at me because it would take me like 10, 15, 20 minutes to get to class because I would be walking like an old lady with my little walker. Um, <laughs> um, uh, six to eight weeks later, I then healed up. Until this day, I'll still hop on a board and keep shredding. Thank you. Thanks, Daryl, for sharing that story with us. Our final storyteller for part one was Southwest Open High School teacher Brad Higginbotham. Brad is a lover of composting human excrement and teaching others this beautiful process. For the last 15 years, he has passionately led groups of students on educational adventures as a teacher at Southwest Open School. Here is Brad's story. I'm uh, heading west on the 405. I'm leaving LA. Uh, I'm leaving my, abandoning my childhood lifelong dream of uh, becoming a stuntman. My uh, ex-fiance, uh, childhood sweetheart of, of eight years is uh, heading east on, the, on Interstate 10 as I, as I take the off-ramp. I see uh, one of the dogs that we own together, a little white fluff ball. Um, looking at me in the front seat, like, uh, hey, where are you going? And uh, I'm looking at him like, hey, I'm never going to see you again. And uh, north I go. I'm headed to, uh, to Washington State, uh, where I think I will uh, find some, some solace and some, some healing. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm kind of driving, it's 4, 4 a.m., I'm 24 years old, I'm I'm bleary-eyed, I'm teary-eyed. Uh, in this uh, book uh, that I read uh, by, by Robert Bly called Iron John um, comes to my mind. And uh, it's a book about, a boys, about boys and their journey towards manhood. And uh, in that book, he talks about the, the boy who's flying high will see his journey go through darkness and difficulty and it will bottom out in the dungeon of some king's castle um, in, in, uh, and uh, I think to myself, this must be it. This must be my, the bottom. This must, I must have uh, hit rock bottom. And uh, I, uh, I'm utterly destroyed. I'm also a whitewater kayaker, and what do whitewater kayakers do when they're utterly destroyed? They go kayaking, 
And so uh, I'm, I'm on my way to, uh, to Washington where it rains all the time and there's year-round kayaking, but on the way I want to go to, uh, to run this fabled run called the Cherry Creek of the Tuolumne. It's a uh, class five kayak run that, that trickles down out of the Sierra Mountains and ends up in the Yosemite Valley. Um, and uh, I'm, headed, I'm headed there and I get to uh, Modesto and my car breaks down and I say, oh, this must be rock bottom. I, I use a, a few of my uh, life savings to uh, what's left of it to fix the, uh, the vehicle and to the river I will go. Um, I wind through the mountains, I get to the takeout. Nope, I get to the put-in first. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I get to the put-in, I've got a plan here. I'm gonna drop all of my uh, boating gear off and some overnight gear. And uh, I stash the kayak and the gear behind some trees. Um, I, I uh, get back in, the, in the, my, my gas-guzzling Beverly Hillbilly packed uh, vehicle, it's a Ford Bronco, and we, uh, we uh, rickety-rackety our way down the, the windy mountain roads, and I take a wrong turn, turn somewhere and end up on a uh, really uh, uh, rutted road that the, the ruts get deeper and deeper, and eventually I'm in them and I'm not driving forward anymore. And so I say, oh no, I'm, I'm high-centered. This must be the bottom. This, I'm at rock bottom. <laughs> I, I climb out of the car, I scream at the California sun and cry myself to sleep at like 5 a.m., 5 p.m., sorry. And, um, and uh, uh, awake most of the night, finally there's a uh, little light coming up and some uh, music playing up the road a little ways and I, I grab some uh, uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. They're my famous oatmeal raisin cookies. I'm sure none of you have heard about them. Um, but, but anyways, I take them and I think that maybe a trade, maybe I've got a trade here and, and I find this fella who's tinkering away at his engine and I tell him my story and he, uh, he comes down, he pulls me out of my situation, I give him some cookies and he tells me how to get to the to the takeout, which is where I was trying to, to go to leave my vehicle. And um, I get to the, the intersection with some new hope, some renewed hope that maybe, uh, maybe the things are going better for me now. I found some nice man in the middle of nowhere and, and uh, I, sh I should go kayaking. And then I think, ah, maybe, maybe I shouldn't go kayaking. Maybe, maybe things aren't going that well right now. So I grab my little penny, my lucky magical penny that always, uh, uh, that never fails uh, to tell me what to do. And, and I flip the penny and it lands on heads or tails. I don't remember, but Whatever it landed on, it said, "You will go kayaking," and and so I take a left and I head to the I head to the takeout, drop off my vehicle, put on my brand new kayak shoes, grab the the, the other dog from the relationship, and uh, she's a she's a uh, part wolf, part shepherd, uh, affectionately known as the Terminator. She can she can persevere. She can uh, she can uh, she is so resilient, and she can't be stopped. And so uh, she's going to come run on this 12 mile run with me, and then run the entire nine mile stretch of the Cherry Creek of the Tuolumne, barking encouragement all all the way. And uh, so the the two of us uh, head off on our 12 mile through the California heat run and. And uh, we eventually get there. My feet are bleeding. My, uh, I'm dehydrated. I'm soaking in potentially Girardi-infested water as I drink it. Mwah, mwah. And, uh, and, I, and I think, yeah, this can't be the bottom. I, I'm, uh, I'm doing better now. I'm, I'm making my way back up. Uh, so I get in the kayak, and the dog uh, starts running next to me. And uh, I go through some rapids. And all of a sudden, she's in the rapids with me.
me in, which is totally uncharacteristic for her. And uh, the two of us kayaking, uh, crashing, tumbling. I'm trying to help her swim through these rapids. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're having a terrible time as we're working our way down the river. Uh, eventually, she ends up great grabbing onto a big rock in the middle of this big rapid. And I have to finish the rapid, get my boat on my shoulder, hike back up and around some mountain and put back on and kayak down and grab the dog off as I go by. And we both fall all over the place and I end up having to get out of my kayak because I'm vertically pinned and, and uh, we collect ourselves at the bottom and, and we do this for nine miles or so and, and, uh, and it's, a, it's a quite, a, quite an exciting adventure down this river. Um, I can't tell you what, it, what uh, the river was like. All I remember is uh, dog ears and dog tails and, and, uh, and, and chaos. Um, however, uh, I, I finally put a stop to it. I, it there in the distance. I see this, uh, this white, and I'm like, I wonder if that's my truck. And then I see all this furniture strapped to it, and I'm like, yeah, that's got to be my truck. And, uh, and it's at the base, it's at the takeout, which is a bridge parked over the river. And uh, this is Lumsden Falls, the, the cornerstone rapid of the run. Everybody does it who does the Cherry Creek or the Tuolumne, but I'm not going to. I say, hey, I've, I've, uh, I've had enough adventure for the day. I pick up my kayak, and I start walking through the California uh, river bank. And uh, not knowing much about California at this time and, and the, the terrain there, um, I, I, as my body starts to relax because the intensity is over and I know I don't have to kayak anymore, uh, I, I get to go poop now. My body says, it's time to poop. And so I, so I dig a hole, and uh, I'm a, I love leave no trace kind of stuff. It's, it's my big thing. And so uh, I, it's, a, it's the appropriate depth. And uh, I, I go ahead and put in it some of the most nutrient-rich material on our planet. And it's now time to, to do the final thing. I'm sure you all know, know what this is. I'm sure you do it as well. I, I take some leaves, and I say, <laughs> with my luck right now, I bet this is poison oak. Yeah, right, whatever. And I use it, and I grab some more, and I use it, and I use it, and I use it. And then I'm like, oh, great, okay, I'm all done. Woohoo, I'm done. True, I'm glad I don't have to go kayaking anymore. Woo, okay, great, great, all right. Woo, okay, all right. Uh, textbook, you know, uh, yeah, one minute. Textbook, uh, you know, a few bumps show up a day or two later. They're itchy, and I'm like, God, oh, I bet it was poison oak. It had to have been. And uh, but by by the third day, I'm taking my underwear and uh, I'm I'm dental flossing it into my into my between my butt cheeks because I needed to keep them separated, if you know what I mean. And. Uh, I, I, I would pull it out, I would wring it out, and I'd find some dry stuff, and I'd reapply all day long. Uh, this must be rock bottom. This has got to be it. This has got to be it. I settle in. Um, I find a, a place, a little room to rent inside of a barn. I make friends with the cow and the sheep and the goats and the... Uh, llama, and uh, and uh, I get a job working cash register at Safeway. I get another job doing some substitute teaching in the local school districts, and uh, have plenty of time for some whitewater kayak. And I I memorize the uh, the, um, uh, the 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 guidebook descriptions of runs, and I got to know and explore a lot of the the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Um, I call my my dearest friend. This guy that I have some pure love for. Uh, we've been through some, some crazy experiences in the river. Kayaking buddies are like, uh, your bond with them is, is uh, 
is almost as deep as it can be with your children and your, and your wife. Um, but it's this bond of just pure love and you save each other and you're there for each other and you support each other. And I call this guy Toby and Toby and I have a, have a, have a long history prior to our pure love for each other. Um, the short version of that is that uh, when I call, uh, we played uh, soccer together um, in, through, in Colorado, we were on arch rival teams and, and I call my mom one day in college and I say, hey mom, uh, I'm gonna bring home some kayaking buddies and, uh, and uh, she's like, oh great, you know, I can't wait. I'll make some food. I'll get a bed ready for you all. And, and uh, I said, um, okay, thanks, Mom. Uh, but I got to tell you about one of them. And uh, she goes, okay, tell, tell me about him. And I'm like, uh, you remember Fort Collins Arsenal? And she's like, oh, please don't tell me he's that curly redheaded kid. And uh, I bring home the curly redheaded kid. And she fell in love with him instantly because uh, he was such a lovable guy. Um, Anyways, I'm on the phone with Toby. It's March in Durango. It's March where I was. And, and uh, I'm like, dude, you, you got no kayak in there. Get out here. There's kayaking all over the place. You got to do it. And he takes a month off of work. And I take a month off of work. And he shows up on March 6th. And uh, uh, we have a great time together. To, it was a beautiful day. Um, <clears throat> We spend the day on the on the uh, on the Clackamas River playboating. Toby's getting his kayaking muscles back, and uh, we uh, reunite and uh, live our lives again together through through talking and and uh, being together. And and uh, the next day, uh, Toby and I head to Canyon Creek. It's an easy Class Five kind of warm up run for all the plans I had for us. And uh, and. Um, we successfully descend the river for the first time, and and uh, Toby really wants to do it again. Uh, he breaks a promise with Cocapelli, the dog that he has just now seen again for the first time. He loves Cocapelli, and uh, he wanted to take her for a walk, but he says, hey, just hang on. We're going to go kayaking one more time. And and uh, so we do the run for the second time, and we're on the very last rapid of the run. It's an easy class four rapid, uh, well within our, our skill ability. And uh, uh, Toby... <clears throat> he uh, leaves the eddy, and I say, you remember what to do, right? And he says, oh, yeah, booth left. And I said, that's right, get a good stroke. <clears throat> he disappears over the horizon line, which is what happens when you, when you go off of a, of a vertical drop. Um, I give him a few seconds. I come to the, the lip of the drop, and I expect to see Toby's big ear-to-ear big, uh, -ear grin looking at me, and, and uh, he's not there. <clears throat> from the from the bottom of the rapid, uh, his paddle comes shooting out out of the froth, and uh, little red pogies still attached to it. The little hand warming pogies are still attached, and and uh, I immediately know where he is. He's down there, and I uh, have a thousand thoughts go through my mind, an old memory of. Uh, making a really uh, crazy decision to save him in a in a uh, deluge-ridden river uh, in at Viacito over here, and I hit his boat, and we both come out together, and uh, it was a miracle. Uh, probably both of us would have been dead had it not worked, and and uh, I remember that, and I have that very vivid memory that that is what I should do right now. But I had 999 other thoughts going through my head, and all of those said, "This is scary. Don't go. Don't don't go. Don't do that." And so I didn't. <clears throat> took me 45 minutes to uh, get Toby out of, out of where he was, and uh, eventually I get him to the side, and um, 
he's stuck inside his boat. It is folded a little bit on his knee, and uh, he can't come out, so I lay him on his, the back deck of his kayak, and, <clears throat> and I believe that uh, if anybody's going to gonna come out of this it's gonna be Toby and I go for my CPR and uh, every time I put my my mouth on his mouth my eye is looking into his eye and it used to be so blue and so full of life but it's black <clears throat> And I believe that this must be rock bottom. Thanks to Brad for telling that powerful story. And thanks to all of our Dragon Tales storytellers. And thanks especially to Nate Osgood, who came up with the idea for Dragon Tales, and again to Think360 Arts for Learning, who funded it. Please be sure to listen to part two available right now of the special edition of Dragon Tales through the Raven Narratives podcasts. And don't forget to pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event on the contact page of our website at ravennarratives.org. Our next Raven Narratives events are coming up on June 2nd and June 3rd, when the theme will be Broken. You can find all of the Raven Narratives podcasts at iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And don't forget to share these podcast stories with your friends and leave comments for us. Raven Narratives is a production of KSJD Community Radio in Cortez, Colorado. Find out more at ksjd.org.